Welcome, and thank you for listening to the New Day Podcast. We are located in South Kansas City, proclaiming the good news of God's grace to our region and abroad. If you'd like more information, please visit our website, newdaykc.org. Um, I've had quite an interruption this morning, and um, all having to do with wind and having it get confirmed in wings and... Uh, I'm not sure how to unpack it. I'm not even sure I should unpack all of it uh, this morning because I've had a series of little mini encounters uh, with the Holy Spirit, and it all regards the next topic uh, that we're going to discuss, which we've been on a journey since the beginning of the year about New Covenant faith about living as New Covenant believers and what that means for us, tied into a message that we started it with calling it the Highway to Grace. Um, Are we one of those grace churches? Yes. Let me remove all doubt uh, if you're wondering, yes. Are we one of those hyper-grace churches? I don't like all the adjectives. We just believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ and uh, trying to live in the gospel of Jesus Christ, and because he is, we are living in the gospel of Jesus Christ, and I firmly believe in it. So we've been on a long journey, and uh, it's probably going to take the rest of the year, and what I'm going to start talking about today, last week I talked about works, because that's one of the discussions, so I've been trying to enter in to and, and get you to go along the journey with me this summer of just entering into looking at both things new and old, things that had understanding in the first several centuries of the church, things that got re-understood with what's known as the Protestant movement and with, with Martin Luther, and then what's happened uh, regarding those things throughout the church ages. And so this morning I'm going to talk about assurance of faith. Um, that's, that's an old phrase that's taken on a new phrase, which is called eternal security. And there's lots of people who have questions about it and, um, as they enter into it. And I want you to know I'm not doing it to engage in controversy. And I'm not doing it to convince you of anything or to take anything away from you. I'm doing it to invite you into looking at it. And so that's just an open invitation. As we've been doing it, and as I did this, and have have been actually studying for the weeks, weeks and weeks, months previous to this, knowing that this is the subject that had to come up, and, uh, and how we look at that, what we believe about it, what we don't believe about it, and how you view things, and the manner in which you view them, how you view your relationship to God. One of the most difficult things, and it's been, I think, really, especially in the 19th and 20th century church, Western church in America, uh, these have been fighting words, uh, doctrinally. They've been, whether you're of this camp or that camp, and whether you believe that you can lose your salvation or and derogatory terms have been thrown about. That's where the term once saved, always saved came about. Um, that was meant to be derogatory to the doctrine of eternal security and 
made it very loose. And so I just want to introduce it this morning, but I want to weave this Holy Spirit encounter regarding faith. Because the issue about what you believe about God and your salvation is linked to your faith. And we all know in the passage in Ephesians 2 very well that we are saved by grace through, and that not of yourselves. That that very faith in order to have faith is a gift from God. And Paul says this, he said, so no one will boast. See, there's not, bo- boasting is a human endeavor. Magnifying is a God endeavor. And I think that God and his grace and the faith that he gives us actually hasn't been magnified enough. And we've magnified other things that's just a boast. Does that make sense? We, we tend to boast about our accomplishments. So, I want to unpack before we even start and introduce this teaching, uh, a, a series of mini God encounters I had uh, from the t- actually going back into last night. And uh, remember that weird thing that was going on with me for a while about getting uh, songs in the morning when I woke up? Well, I had it again this morning, and it was a weird song from the 60s. And I think it's because uh, it was triggered by some stuff. Brenda and I watched uh, the, the movie last night. I don't, even, I don't remember the title of that. What's the title? Anyway, it's, uh, it's the life story of Rich Mullins. So you guys know Rich Mullins? Rich Mullins' music? Yeah? You like it? And it was, anyway, it was a movie, so it was played by actors because Rich died in, in the late 90s uh, in a car wreck. But it was the story of his life and how broken it was and how good God was in the midst of it and how much God was with him through all of it and really the struggle of his life with, uh, with sin um, with drunkenness, with alcohol, uh, with being an alcoholic, and how he navigated that. And they didn't hold anything back. I really liked it. It wasn't one of those, you know how you can watch some Christian movies and it's like, okay, this is like over-the-top preachy and almost Pollyanna-ish. And you kind of go, wait a minute. Well, anyway, the movie, so I'm doing a movie review for you. It's a little slow to begin with because it's him telling a story. Um, but by the end, you're really intrigued by it, and it really grabs you. And what grabbed me the most is that God never left him. God never abandoned him. And when he was writing things like, Our God is an awesome God, when he was writing those lyrics, he was an alcoholic. How can that be? <laughs> How can you struggle and write stuff like that, that went, I mean, it was number one on, in Christian music for so long. And he's really an interesting character, character because he's somewhat of an I, iconoclast. Do you know what that? Iconoclast means image breaker. So it means icon, an image, and clast means to break it apart. So he looked at things of imagery of what the church imagined, and he, he would... He would uh, 
take the fist of his words and try and break it up and really challenge people and stuff. And he, but his life was a mess. But his life was so good. His life was a mess. But God was so good. But his life was a mess. But God never left him. But his life was a mess. God never abandoned him. Not once. See, it's a, actually not the story of Rich Mullins. It's the story of Jesus Christ being faithful to a man who struggled with his humanness. Does that sound familiar to any of you? Yeah, me too. Well, this is what I woke to this morning, and then I had, let's call it a daydream for the sake of being non-offensive. I saw, I heard, heard the lyrics first, and then I saw a group of people standing on the side of a mountain, real steep cliffs, all, all kinds of people there. And uh, a whole group of them were standing and looking at this other mountain. There was this deep valley in between it. And they started singing and wailing uh, a song that was written in the 1960s by a guy named Donovan. Um, now, maybe it's because I was hippie-ish in that days or something, and I just know the song real well. But I'm going to read the lyrics to you. I'm not going to sing it. But this no. <laughs> no, you are not going to bait me into that. I have wings of faith, but I also have truth that knows that I can't sing that good. In the chilly hours and minutes of uncertainty, I want to be in the warm hold of your loving mind, to feel you all around me and to take your hand along the sand. Ah, but I may as well try and catch the wind. When sundown pales the sky, I want to hide a while behind your smile, and everywhere I'd look, your eyes I'd find. For me to love you now would be the sweetest thing, t'would make me sing, ah, but I may as well try and catch the wind. And he does the dee-dee-dee-dee-dee-dee, so I'm not going to do that. I won't tell you how many dee-dees there are. We have a great dee-dee in our congregation. When rain has hung the leaves with tears. I want you near to kill my fears, to help me to leave all my blues behind. For standing in your heart is where I want to be and long to be. Ah, but I may as well try and catch the wind. I may as well try and catch the wind. There was a whole group of people that were singing that song And they were explaining to another group of people how they had to go down into the valley and get wings tattooed on them. And I was like, tattooed wings won't do anything for you. And they were singing this mournful, nostalgic longing, longing, longing in their hearts. And then I heard another song from a some of you uh, know him well and he was, he's a friend to you but it was Kevin Prosh's song They That Wait Upon the Lord 
And this other group started saying this, and it became a louder song than the other song. And they were saying, they that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. Run and not get weary. Walk and not faint. Do you not know, have you not heard? My father does not get weary. He'll bring passion to a willing heart. Even the youths get tired and faint. But strength will come for those who wait. They that wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They will run and not get weary and walk and not faint. When they started singing, this wind came from that other mountain that was over there. And all of a sudden, there was just this mystical thing happened, and wings came out. And guess what? They caught the wind. And they weren't singing a mournful song, and when they took off, they screamed. I mean, just screamed, and I I thought it was just a scream, and then I started hearing the name Jesus, my Savior, Jesus, my Savior. And they had mounted up with these wings, and they knew what they were going to. And I, I heard a voice, and the voice quoted Hebrews 11 to me, but not the way I normally read it in the Bible that I have, not the King James Version. So I actually had to come in and struggle finding it this morning. This is from the English Standard Version, and this is the way it was quoted to me. You all know it. It's Hebrews 11.1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. And then the Lord just started speaking to me. He said, give them their wings. Give them the security of having wings. Give them their wings. They'll mount up. And they won't sing morning songs to try and catch the wind. And they won't go down in a valley and get fake tattoos that look like wings. So for me, this subject matter <clears throat> is really important. The other thing I did was I got here this morning and I changed a light fixture yesterday. And so I was going to throw this old light fixture away in the dumpster this morning, and I, if you notice, the wind was blowing pretty hard this morning. And so I opened the dumpster, and you know, I never look in a dumpster. I never, you know, it's just like, I don't think about it. I don't go dumpster diving anymore. And not that, I did that a couple times when I was younger. All good hippies went dumpster diving. You never know, you might find a good pillow. Ooh. I looked in the dumpster and it was just, it was just grody as a dumpster is. And I was going, yeah, this is where this light belongs, enlightenment. And I went to throw it in there and the wind came up because I just, I stood there for too long looking in the dumpster. And I stood there for a while and the wind grabbed the top of that dumpster and went, shoom, boom, and bonked me right in the head. Good thing it was plastic and not metal. So it's a good thing I got a hard head. So am I hurt? Well, it hurts good. When the wind comes, don't waste your time looking in dumpsters. When the wind comes, lift up your wings. All you're going to find in a dumpster is garbage. 
why go look in a dumpster? Just lift up your wings. You don't have to sing mournful songs. I might as well catch the wind. You want to catch the wind. How do you catch the wind? Lift up your wings. What are wings? Faith. Wings of faith. Faith is what you believe. What do you believe about God? How do you live your life? Are you worried that next week something's going to happen? It's going to get taken away from you? If you don't do it just right, God might not be pleased with you. Or if you do it bad enough, he might leave you. He might let you walk away. You wouldn't believe that you could lose your salvation, but certainly you have the authority to walk away from it. Do you? Have you really studied it out? Have you really looked at what the Scripture says? Or have you relied upon traditions and doctrines beliefs that you just had or your family had or your church had for a long time. But have you really searched the matter out for yourself? I'm going to talk about it, not to create controversy, but it's one of the most important issues of your life. To believe in eternal security gives me assurance by faith that God did what, it, what he had to do to get me there, and God will do what he does to keep me there. He won't let go, no matter what. Good times, bad times, right, wrong. And I know all, we're going to enter into some of the, well, the what-ifs and all that, and I'll look at them. But I want to introduce it to you this morning by reading something that Dr. Sam Storms wrote uh, in a really wonderful book. If you've ever wondered about the various arguments or what you believe or don't believe about difficult topics, he wrote this book called Tough Topics, Biblical Answers to 25 Challenging Questions. And I just want to briefly read the introduction to his chapter on can a Christian lose their salvation. Difficult subject matter. He wrote this, why do people doubt or deny the doctrine of eternal security? Why do so many insist that they've known friends or family members who once were genuinely born again, but through some sin or backslidden rebellion have lost their salvation? There are several reasons. Often the culprit is tradition. That's what I was raised to believe. I can't bring myself to believe that mom and dad and the preacher and all my friends were wrong. This is a far more powerful influence, subtle and unconscious though it be, than most of us realize. To be open to another view seems as if we are saying, the past was all for naught, it meant nothing. To some, it feels as if they must question the integrity or value of people and pastors they love and respect and who've been a powerful influence in their lives. That is difficult for many to cope with. 
I think all. Undoubtedly, a major contributing factor is the presence of several so-called problem passages in the New Testament. Two such texts are found in Hebrews 6 and 10. Uh, He says both of which he tries to explain in chapter 16 of his book, and we're going to go through them also. He said, I also suspect that many fear that if people are told they can't lose their salvation, they will take advantage of this to indulge in gross immorality. If I can't lose my salvation, I'll do whatever I please. And then he quotes Romans 6.1. In other words, the legitimate concern for holiness leads some to an illegitimate rejection of security. As noted, others have known people who they are convinced were Christians but later fell away. Assuming they had truly been born again, the only explanation is that they lost their salvation. Part of the blame for denials of eternal security can also be laid at the feet of certain religious leaders who need people to be insecure in their salvation in order to remain under the leader's control. Fear is a powerful means of keeping people under one's religious thumb. Many believe that eternal security diminishes a person's moral responsibility. It places too much emphasis on God's sovereignty and not enough on human free will. Finally, for some, the exhortations in Scripture to be holy, to persevere, to endure, make sense only if the possibility exists that one may choose not to do so. I really like that introduction. It's a mouthful. I encourage you to get the book, many other books, Lloyd, why are you taking this on? Because it's the wind of the Spirit. And it's essential for us to have a view, one way or the other. Now, here's the thing about New Day. You don't have to agree with me completely. I'm sharing with you what I believe, what my views are, how I've engaged God on it, what I've learned from studying it. And in this, you don't have to agree with me completely, but please study it out. If it's an issue for you, if it's not, just hang in with the pastor and this will be over in a few weeks and we'll go on to the next subject. And you might learn some things along the way. The topic of eternal security, which actually many of the older writers, they didn't use that term. They used a term, uh, I love what Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones uses this term. It's called assurance of faith. And it's from Hebrews 10. And it talks about us coming close to God with the the assurance of faith of what he did. The The first part of the passage is looking at what God has done. He says, and then we have boldness to enter the holy holies by the blood when our, with our hearts having assurance of faith. That it is God. It's always looking at God. Whenever you hear the term assurance of faith, you lift your eyes up. You catch the wind. You take your wings out. Whenever that happens, if there's an assurance, it came from God. Not insurance, assurance. Many people have insurance against that day. I have assurance. I am persuaded. 
that he is able to keep that which I've committed to him against that day. I will try to be genuine and honest and give you what the other point of view, but here's the thing. I'm not out to prove another side wrong. I want you to see what's right about eternal security and what's right about it for your faith, what's right about it for you to rise up with eagle's wings, what's right about it in what the Scripture says, and what's right about it in how you view God and the light that you use to understand it. And hopefully we won't go dumpster searching. Really want to urge you, if you've never, ever explored this matter, to read and research it for yourself. And don't just make adamant statements and become entrenched. In studying this, actually it's been about 18 months. In doing this, I stopped making adamant statements and I said to the Lord, show me. And I wanted to read what other people said about it. So I read both sides of the issue. Uh, That's why I'm not here to debate, but to invite. Because you can get into a debate, but here's the thing. When you get into a debate, you get mean and ugly with it. Because a debate means that you have to prove yourself right and the other side wrong. And both sides do this. The side that believes in eternal security and the side that believes in conditional security use Scripture to support themselves. And it's there. You can make Scripture support your point of view. And both sides do that. So who's right? So who's wrong? I think you're going to have to go back to Hebrews 11.1 and decide for yourself. But I will show you why I believe what I believe, and I'll be quoting other uh, writers and stuff. I know this. God loves a teachable, learning heart. He loves it. If you ever go on a journey where you're unsure about something, ask the Lord in humility to say, Holy Spirit, show me. Teach me. I'm going to set all of my yeah buts and what ifs off to the side, and I just want you to reveal stuff to my heart. Now, for some, that's scary. For the others, that's intriguing. I'm one of the, that's intriguing to me, and I encourage you, come join me on the journey. He loves a learning, teachable heart, and both sides can have that. In being a part of New Day, I want to quote another writer who wrote about this and his ministry, and, because this is really how I feel, because he was talking about it from the point of controversy. He'd been being attacked quite a bit for believing in eternal security. He says, being loyal to me as a person doesn't mean you have to be loyal to all of my ideas. That goes for every other church leader as well. If they mistake disagreement with disloyalty, then they have an ego problem. Don't let them try to bully you into thinking you're the problem for not agreeing with them. 
Don't mistake good intentions for infallibility. Don't settle for doctrines that diminish how much you are loved. Don't settle. So, as we do this, some of the books and writers that have been helpful for me, if this is intriguing you already, I want to give you a couple of books. One was Dr. Sam Storm's Tough Topics. You can get it on Kindle. Um, You can get it up from Amazon. It's easily priced. Paul Ellis, The Gospel in 20 Questions, and plus... He has a blog that he does. It's called Escape to Reality. If you get on that, you can get on his archive and just punch in eternal security and seriously, about 40 resource documents will come up. For those of you who like really, really in-depth good study, if you're, if you're wired like Noel Alexander, get Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones' Exposition on Romans. Get all the volumes and start with the really heavy, weighty stuff of Romans 1 and go through Romans 3. You'll start questioning your own salvation a little bit there and you're going, oh my God, God's going to smite all of us. And then you get into Romans 4 and 5 and it all starts unfolding. And by the time you get into Romans 6, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones is talking to you about assurance of faith and who Jesus is and that he's done it all for you that he went before you, and while you were yet an enemy, he died for you and opened the way for you to come into life. It's just stunning, and that nothing can ever steal that. It's, just, it's some of the best stuff. Here's some of the other authors that you can just, just look their names up on, on the internet or on Kindle. It's Ryan Rufus, Joseph Prince, Andrew Farley. Well, Lloyd, what about the other side? I'm not going to recommend anybody to you. (laughs) You'll have to search that one out for yourself. Uh, Because as I did it, I just went, you know, and then I'd say, no, no, have a teachable heart. And go, and then I'd go back and read Sam Storm some more. Lloyd, what on earth are you talking about? What does eternal security mean anyway? Well, here it is. And this is my position that I believe. Once a person is saved, they cannot lose their salvation. It's not conditional by what they do or don't do, what they think or don't think. If God saves somebody, he keeps them from beginning to end. So you believe in once saved, always saved. I believe in eternal security, that the dependence on the matter is in God as the Savior, not as man or woman, as the Savee. <laughs> That's what I believe. I place my conviction upon that position because of my study in Scripture and of other authors, just some of those that I read to you. But I do not claim that if someone is as studious as I've been, that they will arrive at the same position. That's where faith comes in, and that's why the Lord was speaking to me about faith this morning. You have to have faith to believe either thing. But I really want you to see something. I don't want you to hear me and, and to get taught a faith that says, this might go away. 
This is dependent totally on you. And you better go get some wings tattooed on you. I want to give you an understanding about who he is, what he has done, and the real wings that he's given you, new life in you, in Christ. See, wings aren't something that just grow. (laughs) Wings are given to you by God. They are given to you. Mount up with wings like eagles because they're a gift from God. Salvation is a gift from God. There are decision-making on when a person comes to be born again. I don't believe in limited atonement. I believe that Jesus died for everybody. But I do believe in individual atonement. It has to be received by the person (laughs) that it's being spoken to. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son is condemned. Scary. I know this in life, that the big issue regarding eternal security often goes to behavior, whether that person's being sinful or not. And that one of the accusations that is most often thrown around for pastors or teachers or preachers or places or churches that believe in eternal security, well, they're just telling the people they can live however they want, it doesn't matter. That's not true. You won't ever hear me say that. Sin is a horrendous thing. It damages you. It diminishes your very thoughts and ideas that you are born again with wings of the Spirit and you can't see yourself correctly. Will sin keep you out of heaven? No, he paid for it. How could something that he paid for keep you out of heaven? One of the things I've seen in the argument is this. Everybody wants to be biblical in this, right? We want to be people who are biblical. At least I do. I want to be. That's what the other side says too. And so we base most of our arguments simply on biblical truth without taking into account the other things that we know. The other things that we understand from those biblical truths. Such as the character and nature of God. What some of the old writers called attributes. You can't just look at Scripture without understanding who God is. Isn't that what Jesus meant when, in John 14, when Philip says to him, show us the Father, and it'll suffice? You know, and you can, you can hear him just going, what? Have I been so long with you? When you see me, you see We see the Father. Jesus revealed, not just from Scripture, not just the things that he was saying, but when they looked at him, they could tangibly... And this blew John away later, by the way, when he starts writing and, and you really get into touch. He says, that which we saw and heard, that which we handled, that we touched... This would have been mind-blowing. Think about this. To have been John, the young kid. He was the youngster in the group. 
Some theologians think he might have been as young as 16 at the time. And referred to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. The one who leaned against him. I can do this with Mark. But this was John with Jesus. (laughs) That's a little too phobic for us in America. No wonder he wrote that. Can you imagine? Do you know how secure he was in his faith? He watched him die and rise from the dead. Do you think John was ever worried about losing his salvation? Oh, that which I saw and heard and touched. I handled him. He was in my hug and I was in his. No wonder the last things he preached was he was old and feeble and they would bring him up to talk to people and the only thing he would say is love one another. Beloved, love one another. For love is of God. You cannot look at eternal security without looking at the character and nature of God. I love the way Brandon Manning put it in, in, in his books. and We showed a video a couple of weeks ago. He goes, frankly, the God that I hear that most people describe is too narrow, too opinionated, too demeaning, too judgmental. And he goes through all these things of how God is portrayed because we've made him in our image. And that's what we're like. Until you get born again, again. Till you get your eagle's wings. Is eternal security too good to be true? Way, way better than that. Way better than that. That's a silly statement. It's just too good to be true. No, it's so good that we haven't magnified it enough. You've been struggling lately? Hear my words. God will never leave you nor forsake you. Never. Ever. He won't abandon you. And it's it's in the scriptures throughout the entire New Testament. What about those other ones? We'll get to them. But those can be wrongly inferred and interpreted. Now, if you believe that other one, you can do that. But here's the thing. Don't debate with me because you're not going to convince me. I'm convinced. I'm convinced. I believe in eternal security. I'm going to preach eternal security. And I can't preach anything else. I don't know, I feel like the past three years has just been shooting sacred cows for all of us. Yeah, there's another one. Here's one of the reasons, just one of the reasons, why eternal security is so important. This was just a partial introduction. We'll get into it more. I will give you scripture references. As a matter of fact, I will read 
a combination of Romans 5 to you this morning. Just so you go back and uh, once again, and this was said once before, and, and Ben, you took me up on this, but I encourage you for the rest of this summer, read Romans chapters 5 through 8 over and over and over and over and over again till it indwells you. I do not believe that we have a sin nature when we become, when we become born again. And being born again initiates the grace, power, and presence of God in our lives that lasts forever. Those who declare that they are eternally secure and then go out and sin on purpose in any manner they so choose are not reflecting their new identity to begin with. Since it's a contradiction to what God has done in their life and a contradiction to Scripture. Can we sin? Yeah, but it's not who you are. It's not who you are. So is it okay if we sin? Let me say with Paul, no, may it never be. For sin doesn't have dominion over you. We'll get into great detail about this later this year. Anyone who teaches that it's okay to sin as a believer is at best misdirected and is on very shaky ground. However, I cannot hold alignment and agreement with someone who teaches that if you sin, you will lose your salvation. I actually heard this over 4th of July um, with, with, in a conversation with somebody else, and they were talking about a, a relative who fell into sin, and they were going to end up getting a divorce and going through all this, and they... Their statement was, the worst thing and the most thing I'm afraid of is that they've lost their salvation. You didn't get saved because of dependence on what you did or the choice that you made. Salvation was the sovereignty of God. He chose to save mankind. And to say that you have a choice to then walk away from it is at best to make you equal with God and at worst to make you greater than God. To make yourself more powerful than God. How can you say that? We'll close with this. Please stay on the journey with me. Here's a big picture. I want to read Romans 5 to you. And this is for all the people that you've been worried about. They, they said they were in church. Now I haven't seen them in church for two years. And they once said this, and now they're living like hell. And Here are these scriptures, and I left out parts of them. I'm, I'm reading Romans 5 in a compacted way to bring a train of thought for you, okay? So you can read the whole of it later. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into the grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. 
For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. You got your wings. Therefore, as through one man's offense judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation, Even so, through one man's righteous act, Jesus, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification, not of eternity, not of eternal life, justification of life. A very powerful statement. Moreover, when the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's a free gift. All you have to do is lift up your wings. And the wind will come. That's too easy. It's really easy. It's too easy. No, it's really easy. What, what must I do then to be saved? Receive it. Jump off the cliff to faith. Go, I believe. Ah. This is what I know about God. The wind will come. He'll lift you up. And when the enemy goes, yeah, but remember what you did? Yeah, but it's over with. I have new life in Christ forever. Forever. For those of you that can, put your hand on your heart. Now, if you're not sure if you want to agree with me, you don't have to say it, okay? Jesus, I believe I'm eternally yours. No one can take it away. You won't cast me away. And you have every good purpose for my life. So help me God. In Jesus' name. There, we got it covered with every little thing that we can do. We could have probably pleaded the blood over that one too. And get them all right. Uh, Don't make it hard. Make it easy. What about when things don't go right? And God's disciplining me. We'll look at that too. Be careful with that stuff about how you determine what circumstances. I wrestled with it at the end. At the end of the movie, Rich Mullins in all of his brokenness, his Jeep flips and he dies in a car crash. And do you know what immediately I got hit? I got hit on the, I was dumpster diving. I got hit on the head. I wonder if God did that to him because his life was so broken. I went, that's horrible. I, just, I took authority over the thought, and I went, that's not the God that loves me. That's not the God that loves me. The rain falls on the just and the unjust. Accidents happen in life. Horrible things happen to good people. It doesn't mean that God's mad at them. It doesn't mean that his wrath is tor- towards them and turned on them. It doesn't mean that at all.
Jesus loves me, this I know. Would you stand?